The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Hey everyone, welcome back to the 5 Toe Podcast. As always, I'm George Klein, and this week I talked to Zahin Das about some of the big moves that happened in the NFL lately, and then we also talked a little bit about March Madness. We did this before the tournament started, so we gave our final four picks and whatnot, and had a lot of fun with it. So, hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Okay, so I'm here with Zahin Das. Obviously, an incredibly exciting time of the year. NFL free agency stuff just got over and at the end of this week right before you will be listening to this ncaa tournament march madness it all starts super exciting super fun time so let's hit the nfl stuff first now i feel like with the way sports are now and just the non-stop coverage there's very few trades that catch me off guard completely nowadays it's like first we hear the rumors then we get notifications and then it kind of comes but all of a sudden my phone kind of buzzed and I saw that OBJ had been traded by the Giants to the Cleveland Browns. And I honestly couldn't believe it. The Giants got the Browns first round pick, um, a third round pick, Jabril Peppers. It was, I don't know. I, it was shocking. What are your first kind of feelings about it? Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about this a lot on my, on my talk show and I guess the consensus we came up with, which wasn't that original is that, it's just so weird that if they were going to do this, they didn't do it a season ago, you know, like mm-hmm. right after extending OBJ. Cause I actually personally think if you do this a year ago as part of the, as a big blow it up and rebuild, it's not that bad. It's just that like, he, you know, you just gave this huge extension to OBJ. Like you just drafted Saquon kind of making it seem like you were ready to go this season. And then it just, things didn't go well. And you just say, all right, screw it. We're going to just give up on OBJ and, probably get less than we deserve for him and and yeah and now the browns i guess all of a sudden are pretty exciting and yeah probably going to be uh as you said a tough said to me instantly a top four seed in the afc which is kind of crazy to uh crazy to process yeah it's just so weird what the giants have done because they could have rebuilt i think pretty quickly if last year you had sort of ended the eli manning era and you drafted a quarterback because there were a lot of options that were available to them from like Sam Darnold to like a Rosen to a Josh Allen, like any of those guys. And it could have just kickstarted something. You take Saquon instead, and obviously he's really panned out. He's incredible. He's an incredible running back. But just the way that the league is set up now, I don't know if you can defend taking a running back second, especially with what has come after that, where now – you just basically threw away another entire season. It seems like you don't really have a plan for this year. So you'll probably go something like three and 13, four and 12, and you're at least a year, probably two years behind in terms of rebuilding where you could have been. And whereas you had mentioned before, it seems like the Giants are caught in this weird place of kind of trying sort of to contend and then, but it's just like not having enough talent to do so. And now we're kind of seeing the full ramifications of that where, they might be bad till like 2022. <laughs> yeah, they really might be. And I, I honestly think they will. 
I feel like, it's, especially in the league this year, if you're not making the right moves these days, if you're not making the right moves rebuilding, you, you can be stuck for a while. And especially if you do this kind of thing where you go halfway in and then try and start over, I think they're going to be bad for a long time. I like yeah. they'll still get a lot of media attention because it's New York, but they're going to be bad for a while. Yeah, and I mean, like you had mentioned just before, I mean, the Cleveland Browns have just turned into one of the most exciting teams in the entire league. Just so much talent now. I mean, everyone kind of pointed to that sort of fun Odell Beckham Jr. Jarvis Landry connection that goes all the way back to LSU. There was that photo circulating online of like them at a summer camp or whatever when they were in high school. And now you've got two dynamic playmakers, a lot of offensive depth around Mayfield. And defensively, we still know what they can do with like Miles Garrett, Ward, and all those guys. So I, so I came in really highly on the Chargers last year. Well, before this, like last year. I don't really know how to say it at this point, but yeah. I was high on the Chargers entering the year, and that really sort of panned out. But I'm starting to get this feeling about the Browns, too, where it's just a team that's ready to take the next step. They showed a lot of – after Hugh Jackson was gone, this was a very solid team, and they didn't even really have, like, a real head coach. So I'm excited to see what they can do with the set infrastructure in place because the talent to me screams – Scott, you, you, you would have to think that they can go 10-6 and six this year. Yeah, and, you know, you start to look at the AFC and – I don't really know which teams are more talented than the Browns right now, just in sheer star power and, and ability. I actually, I don't believe in Baker Mayfield as much as a lot of people do. So I like, I, I'm kind of tempering my expectations, but especially with, you know, they have Nick Chubb, obviously Kareem Hunt's not going to be a factor for a while, but um, I don't know, man. Like I get the chiefs are still up there. Patriots, I guess until, you know, <sighs> until we can prove otherwise are, are up there. Chargers, I think are still 100% up there. But uh, not a lot of other teams have great arguments. I guess the Ravens made a huge move with Earl Thomas, but yeah. I don't know, man. They look in great, great position as long as they don't screw it up, which is very possible. I mean, especially in the AFC North, and then we can move over now where the Steelers, it's shocking to think that a year, like a year or two ago, I mean, they were one of the most dynamic groups in the entire league, Le'Veon, Antonio Brown, <clears throat> Roethlisberger. They lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the playoffs, and then nothing's ever the same. So I guess we can just attack these moves one by one. So first with Le'Veon Bell, I'm a Jets fan, so I guess I have a lot of, I don't know, emotion invested in this move. But the Jets are just one of those teams where you knew that they would get either one of those Steelers guys. Just they needed to make a move. It was, they had so much cap space, and no one really kind of wants to go to the Jets. So if you have... So if you have folks who are really like looking for a new place to go and all they really want is money, then that's like the ideal place for the Jets to move in. Because if there's one thing that the Jets have, it is money. And at least now the Jets have an actual star running back for the first time and honestly forever, seemingly. Probably um, in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's, I mean, it's been like Isaiah Crowell, Chris Ivory, <laughs> Washed yeah. up Chris Johnson. I don't know. Even going all the way back, like Sean Green, like yeah. washed up Tomlinson. This is probably their best running back since like Thomas Jones, I want to say. So it's been a long time. Hopefully now since, I mean, the main thing with Darnold last year is he just had no one around him. So he could just like defenses would just like sit on him the entire time. So now hopefully some of that pressure can 
kind of alleviate and make things easier for him. But doesn't, I mean, to me, it's just doesn't Le'Veon Bell strike you as a back? Like, he needs at least some kind of passing attack with him. Like, what? I don't understand what they're going to do. Like, it's not like Robbie Anderson is going to open up the box. They're just going to pack everyone in there. And Le'Veon Bell is, I guess, going to be the workhorse back. And I don't know. I just can't visualize it succeeding, you know. I, I, but it's good for them, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think the hope is, you know, with Adam Gase as a new head coach and, and his reputation has really sunk over the past couple of years. But you're looking at a guy where, I mean, what, maybe like 2016, he was considered one of the, like the new bright offensive minds in the league. So I think the Jets are just hoping that you put talent with that, with Gase, and then he can kind of make something out of it. So I don't know, maybe Inunua, Anderson, they can get unlocked, take that next step. And then all of a sudden you have a, a little more space. But I think the main thing is just, I mean, last year, defense were just like waiting and then the Jets offensive line was putrid. So they just sacked Darnold over and over again, gave him that sort of troublesome foot injury. So I don't know. It's at least they're trying to do things, I guess, which, which is a bright sign. But I mean, I don't think of this move is one that really pushes them anywhere. I think that they go like seven and nine this year. So I guess that I would say. I would agree with that assessment. <laughs> All right. So now what do you think about Antonio Brown off uh, to the Oakland Raiders? I mean, yeah, you know, another one of those, I guess, kind of weird ones. But it, it was almost one of those situations where it was like anywhere but the Steelers for both Bell and Brown. <laughs> I feel like the fact that it was the Jets and the Raiders really proved that it really was anywhere. But, I mean, it's weird, man. I guess Gruden's probably thinking like hot, like laughing at all the haters now who hated on his other moves. I still think his moves with Mack and Amari Cooper were terrible. It's just that he was able to pounce on a good situation with Brown. And uh, I don't know. I mean, he'll probably be pretty phenomenal. And I still kind of believe in Derek Carr. I know a lot of people hopped off of the Derek Carr bandwagon after this season and I guess last season too. But um, I think, like, they'll have something. But whether it'll make a significant impact on Oakland, which is just kind of a decimated roster right now, I don't know. Yeah, it's just so weird for the Steelers because you think about it and you're talking about a team that lost Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. And to just get a couple of draft picks back for those guys is in some ways kind of unimaginable to me. Oh, yeah. No, I think, I, I think there's no two ways about it. Steelers have been totally screwed by the situation. But that was almost an, an inevitability, I think, given yeah, a lot of it, It's just really funny how this whole Antonio Brown thing went down because he basically demands a trade. And, I mean, it's a lot of analysts have like said this, but he basically became sort of a free agent. There was that whole thing where yeah. – Maybe he was going to the Bills, and all of a sudden he was like, nah, I'm not going to the Bills. <laughs> and they're like, all right, I guess you're not going to the Bills. And it's like he kind of like <laughs> Jedi mind tricked everyone into being like, okay, like he gets to like choose his spot. Really, he came out on top because when you talk about Le'Veon Bell, you know, he definitely lost like some money, sat out the year. The contract wasn't, you know, tremendous. But Antonio Brown really kind of made it out with any, with everything he possibly could have wanted. He got, he got out of that Steelers situation, makes a big contract jump with Oakland, and now he can just kind of do his own thing in a new place. So really kind of a wacky spot there overall. So you have any last thoughts there? No, I mean, I guess one of my last things is it's interesting to me the difference between NFL and uh, NBA where players really, it's a lot less in their mind is the, the championship potential, I think. I think a lot of times like great players like A.B. are, 
are fine going to the Raiders, even though I think realistically they're not going to get a championship while he's there or even be in contention, barring something drastic. And uh, it's interesting how it keeps a little bit more parity in the league, whereas in NBA, it's like a constant like musical chairs if you can get to the yeah. next super team. You know, it's, it's very different. It kind of reminds you when these things happen. Yeah, and I think this is something that we've touched on before in like prior episodes, but I think just a lot of that has to do with the nature of the game. You talk about football yeah. and it's such a violent sport that you can, you know, nothing's given. You really just have to make the most of your time in there since normally we're talking three, four years. And even for the longest cruise, it's nine or 10 maybe. So the goal there is just to make as much money as you possibly can with this thing, where I think with when you're talking about the NBA, you know, there's a lot more potential for a, lo- a longer career and it's not necessarily dangerous. So there's more room to kind of try new things and then try to find the right spot. And you want to find a championship, like that's something that matters to you where mm. with, where I think with just being an NFL player, you have to have a more narrow mindset of like, all right, I'm here. My career could be over tomorrow. I have to make as much money as I possibly can. Right. All right. So now um, moving gears, we've got March Madness. Obviously it's that time of the year again, and you'll be listening to this episode on Saturday. So we're going to talk in pretty general terms here and you know who knows maybe one of these teams will get knocked out over like those first couple of days but I personally think we're pretty safe so we're just going to kind of go region by region talking about our final fours what we got if if there's any potential upsets that we might see along the way maybe try to call a couple of games and then you all can see if we got those calls right but let's just first kind of tackle the east region for me at least just kind of looking down at this this seems like Duke all the way. I don't really see a team here that I feel like can challenge them tremendously. I mean, Michigan State's obviously great. They're, they're just one of those natural powerhouse programs. But I think Duke, we know that their shooting isn't incredible. But I think just the, natu- just the overall talent here, I think it's clearly them, for me at least, out of this region. Yeah, I agree. Duke shouldn't really have a problem getting through it. Um... I think they're a little bit lucky because this region, I think more than others, doesn't have any real teams of substance below the four seed. Like Virginia Tech's a great three-point shooting team, and they actually beat Duke without Zion Williamson. So they're dangerous. But Mississippi State, I don't think, has any reasonable chance against a team like Duke or Michigan State. Uh, Maryland has been bad. Louisville is not great. Like So I, I don't think there are any lower seed, like, danger sleepers there. And, yeah, like I don't think Michigan State would beat Duke one-on-one if they make it that far. I honestly think the only team in this region with the talent to beat Duke is LSU because I just think they have some phenomenal individual players who are really physical and big like Naz Reed. But just like the turmoil that they're in with uh, their head coach being suspended and, you know, they've just been up and down all season. They, they probably won't even make it that far. So, Yeah, that's just a really tough spot. I think – and this is something that I talked to you about before we recorded – but I think if there's a game that really jumps out to me, it could be Duke UCF, where you have uh, I don't know seven foot five, seven foot six uh, Taco Fall for UCF, and then seeing him match up against Zion Williamson on a couple of plays would be just incredible television. And yeah. that LSU uh, and that LSU Yale game, our audience will know the result of that when they hear it. But I'm curious to see what happens there, just because Yale is such a fine-tuned operation. Uh, Mieone is like a first-round talent, as like you had said to me, um, and just really sort of underrated by the rest of the country who doesn't necessarily pay any attention to Ivy League hoops. And then LSU with all the turmoil, you just wonder if it all falls apart. And actually, 
I'm curious to see about the winner of the playing game between uh, Belmont and uh, Temple because we've seen in past years that winners of those first four games can kind of go further than anyone might have expected. And then we see it year after year. So you kind of wonder if that could be a spot where that happens. Yeah, there's some crazy stat where, like, for the last few years, there's always been one team from the first four that makes it past the first round. And then for, like, half of those years, they've made it into the next round, the Sweet 16. So, yeah, I mean, Belmont is a really, really solid team. Temple isn't actually that bad either. Actually, like, a slight Ivy League connection there because head coach Fran Dunphy coached at Penn for, like, 30 years or something and got tons of championships. But um, so there's the experience there. And we always say coaching is important in March. But... Yeah, honestly, I actually like whoever – I know this match would have already been done by the time this series, but whoever wins between Belmont and Temple to beat Maryland and then potentially have a, uh, a matchup against Yale if, if our upset if our upset sense is correct there um, from our Ivy League bias, obviously. But So, yeah, you could end up having Belmont uh, – probably more likely Belmont in the uh, Sweet 16, which would be kind of a good one for the fans. All right, so now moving down to the West region. This one's a lot more open – um, Gonzaga with another great year, but I mean, they're obviously kind of coming off a rough final game to end the year with St. Mary's and that kind of left a rough taste in my mouth. I think everyone's going to be looking at that possible matchup between Gonzaga and then Syracuse in the second round as a possible upset pick. And we know that when Syracuse gets into the tournament, that zone just does things and they win games and they should have no business winning. And it happens year after year. So I don't know. I'm really kind of curious to see about that matchup if it ends up happening. Yeah, I think it's a really tough draw for Gonzaga. Like, if it is Syracuse, the problem for Gonzaga is, like, yeah, they're a great team, but they have that, you know, weak schedule we always talk about. So they don't get to face, you know, weird teams like Syracuse during the year. And it's like, yeah, they do well against, you know, other teams with lottery picks. But, like, a Jim Beheim team, it might be really ugly. And I actually feel a similar way about if they get through that and have to play someone like Florida State, insanely athletic team. Like, that strikes me, if it is Gonzaga-Florida State, that strikes me as one of those weird games like like Texas versus UNC last year where it's just like the athletic team just dominates the, the better team and kind of gets an easy win and an upset there. So Gonzaga, I think, is in trouble. I'd be amazed if they make it out of this region. Yeah, I could really, really see Florida State as the West team in the Final Four because – I've been kind of cycling in between them and Michigan right now in that elite eight matchup, but I don't feel incredible about Michigan right now. Jordan Poole, obviously nice, but I just, it's really tough to make two consecutive final fours. And I, they had the easiest trip possible last year. And I feel like they're a worse version of that team. So I just have no comment. It's just that the problem for Florida state is, I just don't know if they can score enough when it really matters in crunch time minutes, but that defense is so swarming that it really makes me want to have them go far. Yeah, I think Florida State's great. Michigan, I'm really, really high on because they've looked incredible at times this year. Like, look, my one drawback for them is I think it's just difficult mentally to believe in yourself when you get swept like three times by Michigan State, your rival. I think that's a huge mental block to get over because – I think we always talk about how much this is about emotion. And uh, I don't know, I, I'm really high on Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech could be incredible. They're red hot, best defense in the country by some metrics. And their offense has become really hot lately. And uh, I actually think this region is kind of stacked because Buffalo is a great team too. 
I would probably pick them over any other three seed in the field, but Texas Tech is really strong. So, I yeah, I have a lot of tough decisions to make in this one. I don't know about you. Yeah, everyone's kind of looking at Murray State um, with John Morant as a 5-12 upset. But outside of that, I don't really have any, like, huge swings that I can really see. I mean, Vermont is very good, but I just don't think they have much of a chance against a team like Florida State. So I don't have any, like, huge swings here in terms of upset potential. But that Marcus Howard-Morant matchup will be really fun. That'll be unreal. I would also just say keep an eye on Florida. I know they might be out by the time – they probably will be out by the time this airs. But, you know, they were – they beat a great uh, LSU team in the SEC tournament. Like, they've played a really tough schedule in the SEC. I think uh, if Michigan is struggling, as you think they might, then Florida could totally cap, uh, cap it, cash in on that. All right. And then we've got the South, where it seems like it should be Virginia, just because – I don't know. I do think that they're the strongest team, but it's just hard for me to pick up, to just pick Virginia after everything that's happened and how many times we've seen them fall short. But the thing is, if it's not Virginia, I don't really know who it could be because I think you can look at Tennessee as maybe the strongest team in this field, but I really don't like that possible second round matchup with Cincinnati in Columbus, where you know that crowd be all for Cincinnati and that's a very tough environment to kind of play in and then there's Purdue but again it's a worse version of a Purdue team from last year that uh, came up way short of expectations so I just don't know I think right now I have Virginia uh, penciled in but I just it's what it's it's one of those things that I'll never feel great about yeah it's it's a really tough one I I like Tennessee I think a lot more than you do I know the Cincinnati matchup could be tough but I think when you have a player like Grant Williams, who some people are saying could beat out like someone like Zion for player of the year or, um, you know, and you have Admiral Schofield there and then people like Jordan Bone, like that is so much talent and they have played a really tough schedule. So, uh, yeah, I, to me, they're definitely the favorite. I think it's their bracket to lose. Um, although a lot of people kind of think Virginia might finally make it all come together. It's just that, I don't know, man, I just don't think it's a tournament recipe the way they play basketball. So, um, (laughs) Tennessee is the only team I have much confidence in in this region. The rest of it could be – it could be crazy, honestly. I could see a lot of upsets happening here. Yeah, and then Midwest. When, when they first announced the bracket, I was kind of like, wow, okay, this is the really tough one just because, like, the names kind of leap off the page. You're talking about Kentucky, Houston, uh, Kansas, Auburn. But I think when I looked a little closer at it, it seemed like less inspiring to me. It's a very, very down Kansas year, obviously. Houston kind of stumbled at the end, though I still like them a lot. And then Kentucky, I mean, it is Kentucky, but I don't necessarily think it's like a strong Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, I think it is definitely a really strong bracket. Definitely a bracket with a lot of upside teams. Like Kansas, people forget, I'm pretty sure they were the AP number one team at the beginning of the season. They were, yeah. So that's that's kind of crazy to think. We totally – they fell off the map, but they had some huge wins back in November. Um, so they could be dangerous. I honestly, like I said to you when the bracket came out, the team I fear the most in the whole region as a North Carolina fan is Auburn. I think that they are just so – they can just run away with games when they light up from downtown, and that could easily happen in March. Um, I could see them being – I think they're the biggest threat because I think North Carolina would love a game against someone like Kentucky – or even like an Iowa State or a Houston or a Kansas, any of those teams I think we're fine in that situation. But Auburn is just a very uncomfortable game to play it, and I, I really hope that we don't have to play them, but I think we probably will. All right, so I guess just looking at our final fours now, for right now I have Duke, 
Michigan, UVA, UNC, which seems pretty unlikely that all three ACC number one seeds will make it all the way through. But that's, it's just one of those things where when you're filling it out, I just don't see the upset necessarily materializing. I wonder if I'll eventually replace it with uh, Tennessee, just in the top right. But what do you have? If you replace it with Tennessee, we would have the same. <laughs> but I, yeah. I will say, like, I, so I definitely think Duke and UNC will be there. I think that'll be the championship game, spoiler. But the one I'm least sure about is Michigan. I'm actually cycling between Michigan, Texas Tech, and Florida State. I don't know which one it's going to be. In fact, even Gonzaga technically has a chance, but they're, like, behind right now. But Yeah, yeah. it seems like everyone this year is uh, – uh, picking Duke and UNC in the championship game. And then it would most just be people, so perfect. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like if there's any year that will happen, it seems like it's really set up this year. Because I think both of these teams can pretty solidly make it through the bracket. I mean, especially Duke. I just don't see much of a challenge there. But it's just – it's one of those things where when everyone's picking it and it seems like it's so set up so well, you kind of know that it won't happen that way. So it makes me kind of nervous. And – when I'm making like a bracket, I always want to pick a team that like isn't the, like that isn't one of like maybe the top two teams that are taken. So then if they do win, then I get like a huge bonus and like right. like you like you win your pool or something. But I honestly just don't see any team besides Duke or UNC that I think that highly of. Yeah, I think I mean in my mind they're the best two teams in the country, and uh, I think the. The desire of having that rivalry match is, is probably going to be in their minds, even if they won't admit it throughout the tournament. And uh, it would be an incredible spectacle. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just tough to pick other teams that are at the caliber there. I think Kentucky is a very dangerous team. I think I give them a little more credit than you do, maybe. But other than that, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident. I'm definitely not. The one part of my bracket that isn't changing is UNC over Duke in the championship game. I'm pretty, pretty set on that. All right, I've got Duke over UNC right now. So it'll be fun. Obviously, we'll be watching closely over the next few weeks, pretty much just all day, watching for like 12 hours. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Can't wait. All right, so thank you for coming on. Thank you. Always a pleasure. All right, that will do it for us. We'll be talking about some MLB stuff next week, full MLB preview. We'll go through all the teams, both leagues, and we'll just go through it. All right, so... Thanks for listening and goodbye.